coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. All right, and a happy Wednesday to you. It's a gorgeous day here in Atlanta, by the way. I like. I think we're going to hit a high of maybe 88. It was 79. I was literally listening... It was 79 degrees when I heard a weather report as I'm heading out to grab some lunch around 1230 today. Oh, man. It's just one of those days that you're just kind of like invigorated because it's not oppressively hot. And and that's good news for me personally because uh, I have softball tonight at 715. So it won't be as humid and as stuffy and as hot as it has been uh, the first two weeks of the season. So uh, best of luck to uh, my teammates and I, the Happy Innings crew playing tonight at Piedmont Park. Where do we start? Uh, let's start with, it, it, and, and I I shudder to say that this correlates, but it, it will correlate in this first segment. Uh, we have learned today that the city of Brookhaven fired its Parks and Rec director uh, after Cobb County Police grabbed him on charges of soliciting a minor. Uh, this story filed at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution by Sarah Gregory Patrick Nally was arrested when he showed up at a Marietta location where he made plans to meet the person he thought was a 14-year-old girl, according to a press release from the city of Brookhaven announcing his termination. Article continues, Nally had actually been communicating with an officer from the Cobb County Police Department. He's accused of contacting the undercover officer during business hours and drove a Brookhaven city-owned vehicle to the meeting. Nally is charged with enticing a child and obscene internet contact with a child, both felonies, according to Cobb County jail records. He's being held there on a $20,000 bond. Cobb County Police Sergeant Wayne Delk said Nally was arrested by the agency's Special Victims Unit. He had actually only been working with the city about three months, uh, according to the article. And uh, the city said that he cleared several background checks, had he that he had not been accused of any other allegations during his employment there, fired immediately following the arrest. Of course, as is the case in our judicial system, he is presumed innocent until found guilty in a court of law. So how does this correlate with where I'm going to go next? Well, I was listening a little bit today to uh, Eric Erickson. He, of course, is one of the small handful of conservative radio personalities that sort of slinked in to fill the void left by the death of Rush Limbaugh. He has uh, affiliates throughout the country, uh, one of them here in Atlanta. He does a show actually out of his Macon area home, if I'm not mistaken. And he was spending a great deal of time today just gloating. Now, the, 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 the pro-capitalist right wing loves capitalism, right? Just gloating about Target announcing uh, their latest earnings reports. Uh, Target's numbers for the last quarter, according to CNN, fell for the first time in six years, saying consumers pull back on discretionary goods and also mentioning the fierce right-wing backlash to Target's Pride Month collection, uh, contributing to taking a toll on the brand. Uh, Target sales at stores uh, open for the last... Uh, for at least one year, dropped 5.4% last quarter, including a 10.5% online drop. The company also cut its annual sales forecast. Uh, Target's foot traffic dropping 4.8% last quarter. 
this quote likely a function of a mix that skews too discretionary as well as the pride merchandise issues. That statement from Michael Baker, an analyst at DA Davidson. Then, of course, there is the precipitous, like more than 25% drop in sales for InBev's Bud Light, all because someone in the marketing department made one commemorative six-pack and sent it to Dylan Mulvaney. Target's problems stem from going to using a retailer to make some of the Pride merchandise, a retailer that made some tongue-in-cheek, trying to be humorous, poking fun at the super crazy, uber-religious folk by making the... And and the joke, I get it. The joke is lost on me as well. I, I get the joke, but it's lost on me. Uh, the claim by those on the right that this maker of clothing and goods made satanic merchandise, which isn't true. They, they made merchandise that kind of poked fun at people for buying into satanic uh, religious gotcha conspiracies. Do you remember what it was like when you were a kid? Uh, if, did you go to like a Sunday school or something like that? I, I did. I was a, a regular at the Sunday school at Grove Baptist Church in my hometown of Grovetown, Georgia. And we heard all kinds of crazy stuff about like, oh, you know, if you play this record backwards, you get a message from Satan. Well, first of all, why would Satan be so subtle about that? (laughs) Seriously, uh, who thinks to play a record backwards? First of all, can you find a record player that plays a a record backwards? Well, no, in general, you can't do that. So it was just, that's, that's the sort of stuff that this, a clothing maker made fun of. Not so much that they were overtly into Satanism or printed Satanic merchandise. They were kind of making fun. Anyway, so that got a life of its own. And then the next thing you know, the pride merchandise we've come to see in Target stores for, I would say, at least the last five years, innocuously. Nobody pitched fits. Nobody was coming in and knocking down merch or threatening anyone. And yet this year a more concerted effort to target, pardon the pun, the LGBTQIA plus community on and even before and after Pride Month in the year 2023. There has been this concerted effort to stigmatize the trans community, even to try and subdivide, to kind of cull us from the herd, the LGBs from the T's. Oh, yeah, that's a very real thing. Divide and conquer, you know. I I don't speak on behalf of the entire LGBs, but I can tell you that by and large, we stick with the T's. We are the LGBTQIA plus community. We're not lopping off a portion and leaving them behind or we got ours, we're cool. No, because we actually still have to fight battles so that we can have Wedding cakes made, wedding websites made, you know, all these crazy things that we're still having to deal with, you know, the, 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 the back of the, the back of the lunch counter kind of stuff that the LGBTQIA plus community is still fighting. So you're thinking, well, Ron, how, how does, how does this relate at all to the guy getting popped in the park trying to meet up with a 14 year old girl? Well, need I point out? that this fella, Patrick Nally, thought he was going to meet up with a 14-year-old girl. 
that sounds like opposite sex. I mean, it's disgusting. It's perverse. It's gross. But it's opposite gender attraction. It's not same gender attraction. <clears throat> he didn't show up to the park in drag. If he did, they didn't put that in the police report. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that Mr. Parks and Rec didn't show up in drag with a book to read to the 14-year-old girl. And yet that, too, has been a lightning rod of controversy. So ask yourself, would you rather leave your child with a drag queen reading books or Patrick Nally at the park to toss the ball a little bit? Do you think the odds of your child being groomed into some sort of deviant sexual behavior, do you think that those odds are greater if you took that kid to a gay pride parade and they were hanging out with the LGBTQIA+, or do you think something deviant might happen if you left your child alone with, I don't know, a Catholic minister, a Protestant Sunday school youth director? Many of those get popped. The problem for right-wing pundits is that doesn't scare enough voters to the polls. It doesn't sway voters to vote a certain way. You can't demonize the Catholic Church. You can't demonize white guys who are in parks and rec trucks. You, you can't demonize any of that because, huh, it's just, it's just, it doesn't make sense for conservatives to attack the religious or the creepy white guy. No, they have to attack Dylan Mulvaney, who, to the best of everyone's knowledge, has never molested a child. It's simply her existence that bothers them. You know, I remember when I had first come out, I was dating a guy named Chris, who is still the salt of the earth. Just one of the best, nicest human beings ever. If I'm being honest, I probably didn't do him right. But and I, when I meet, when I say that, I don't need to explain that. I just you know, things didn't work out. Anyway, um, I remember that I think my nephew at the time was like three, four years old. My my first nephew was three or four years old, and my mother who. She accepted me. She was cool with it. She understood. She said she knew. Kind of, you know, had a hunch all those years. She also said, like, all of my male friends were super good looking. There's a clue. <laughs> anyway, um, she cautioned me against being affectionate to the guy I was dating in front of my three or four-year-old nephew at the time. Well, he won't understand. What? It didn't make sense then. It's not something that I hold a grudge with. You know, my mother passed 12 years ago. It's not something that, you know, I, I hold a hostile nature. She just didn't get it at the time. She, like most people in the early 2000s, just didn't get it. Didn't quite understand the ram. In fact, I'm sorry, this was the 90s. It's just the existence of Dylan Mulvaney that's the problem for conservatives. It's just the existence of Pride merch. How dare they sell I Love My Gay Uncle onesies to toddlers. Toddler don't give a damn what's on the onesie. It's about the family 
accepting. And remember, the right, they're so pro-family. It's about the family accepting the uncle and understanding that the uncle or the aunt or the uncles or the aunts are just as welcome to dote on the nieces and nephews, the grandkids, whatever, as anyone else in the family is. Because there used to be that trope that it's the LGBTQIA plus that are the molesters, the ones that are targeting children. And yet, the overwhelming evidence shows we're not the ones showing up in our work trucks at parks to meet 14-year-olds of the opposite sex. Just saying. Back after this, more Ron Show on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to the Ron Show. I want to get back to talking a little bit about the, the right wing and, and, their, and their bullying of businesses. The phrase they like to use is, go woke, go broke. Which isn't a one-size-fits-all catchphrase. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, this article came out, I will share it in today's show notes, you know that, at ronshowatl.com. Uh, at Fast Company. Get woke and go broke. New data suggests otherwise. New data from uh, Merriant and USC Annenberg School of Communications and Journalism demonstrates that despite media headlines, consumers, employees, and especially investors value corporate leadership on environmental and social challenges. In recent years, an attack on environmental, social, and governance standards, or ESG, as the right likes to use the terminology, a framework for investors to measure corporate risk and growth opportunities has been playing out in the media, with recent examples including analysts reactively linking ESG to business failure and leaders proactively pulling back on such efforts. The article continues, leveraging AI-backed network analysis to better understand ESG conversations, Merriant identified several overwhelmingly negative media narratives, from linking ESG to a reduced ability to compete with China to identifying it as a tactic used by global elites to avoid regulation and maintain status quo to the most popular, quote, get woke, go broke sentiment. The social network data in particular shows clearly what many can sense. ESG has become a political punching bag with users across the spectrum, left, right, and center, engaging in battles of rhetoric about the meaning of the term because the right can't give you that definition. What, what does that mean to be go woke? and its impact on business and society. Article continues, the data also shows there is more than three times the engagement with the newest anti-ESG narratives that skew right-wing, about 34%, versus left-wing, at about 10%. The right-wing engagement is also shown to be significantly more coordinated, gee, go figure, demonstrating how the recent narratives questioning ESG are representative of one point of view versus a balanced dialogue. Further down the article, there's a subheadline: stakeholders see addressing social issues and ESG as a key business driver. The majority of employees, consumers, and investors believe that companies have a responsibility to play a role in addressing social issues. And surprisingly, it is investors who feel most strongly. Investors now, these are investors. Investors tend to be fiscally conservative. Nine in 10 agree as compared to seven in 10 consumers and employees. However, the data also showed that despite the recent uptick in media coverage, ESG is not a universally well-known term. While 100% of investors were at least somewhat familiar, less than half of employees and consumers 
could say the same. In fact, 44% of employees, 35% of consumers report having never heard of ESG. They probably think it's not allowed in Chinese food. (laughs) One out of five of these two stakeholder groups have heard the term but don't know what it means. But that doesn't mean these stakeholders aren't invested in ESG as a concept. When given a definition, the article continues, the majority of stakeholders, more than 9 in 10 investors, again, and 7 in 10 employees and consumers agree that awareness of ESG performance is beneficial when making key decisions about a company. The implication is that the term ESG is essentially jargon that complicates the intended meaning. The point of this, I believe and I don't mean to infer or or try and regurgitate the information, but the extrapolation I get from this is, well, these these blips that we see in uh, consumer sentiment when it comes to Bud Light or Target is the reaction of a vocal minority. They call themselves a silent majority, and they're neither. They're neither silent. They won't shut the f*** up. And they're not the majority. But they do have an impact on business. As does the marginalized communities that businesses are now trying to attract as well and having to walk this tightrope of doing so without offending the panty wastes on the right who used to make fun of votes on the left being so easily triggered and who are themselves so easily triggered. I hate to, in this instant gratification society, use this term, but I'm going to use this term. This too shall pass. Oh, I mean it. This too shall pass. Target will be fine. In fact, I believe foot traffic has returned to normal. And there's something to be said for the fact that Target isn't quite like Walmart. You can't look to Walmart and go, well, look what Walmart's doing. Walmart sells a lot of necessities, groceries. Target is not a necessities retailer. Target is closer to Bed Bath & Beyond, which is closing a lot of stores, you'll recall, than it is to Kroger. Walmart's closer to Kroger than it is to Bed Bath & Beyond, although you can do a lot of what you do at Bed Bath & Beyond at Walmart. You can do a lot of what you do at Kohl's at Walmart. You can also do what you do at Kroger at Walmart. So Walmart's somewhat insulated when it comes to non-necessity spending. Target is a more non-necessity retailer. Yes, they're growing in the grocery business, and some of their stores are actually full-on grocery stores as well. I mean, not really, but, you know, sort of. But a trip to Target isn't a weekly necessity. Now, listen, I have friends that would argue otherwise, and, and I go to Target all the time myself. But I don't go there to get groceries. I sometimes get groceries while I'm there, but I don't go there to get groceries. Does that make sense? And with, again, spikes in gas and inflation we've dealt with for the last two plus years, it's actually a wonder that this hasn't happened to Target before. But this too shall pass. And I guarantee you, I said this uh, during Pride Month, Target will have their Pride Merchant back out next year. They'll be a little smarter about where they put it They'll have their staff better prepared. They may even in some places have security folks on hand to ensure that no right-wing jackass comes in there to destroy property like some rogue January 6th. Why is that running through that camp, right? And I don't think Bud Light is 
going to recover at quite the same rate, but Bud Light will recover. It's Bud Light for crying out loud. But the reason I absolutely believe that this who shall pass is because investors, who again are by and large usually fiscally conservative, they're usually white, male, wealthy, fiscally conservatives, they're still bullish on an environmentally, socially, governmentally responsible corporate awareness, much to the chagrin of the conservative right. Now, when we come back, liberals, progressives, I want you to pay attention because you may not be comfortable with this next segment, but it's a conversation we need to have. And it's inspired by this suddenly viral country song. And no, not the one about the small town activity. (laughs) But bear with me. We'll get to that in just a few minutes. Thank you for listening. I do appreciate that. To The Ron Show on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. Uh, final segment of the show. I want you to hang in there because I should have been teasing this. Misha Maynard, after making her party switch from the Democratic Party to the GOP, started sharing some form emails she was getting, or someone was concocting that she was getting, and she made a huge misstep, and she's lucky she's not getting sued for it. Stand by. We'll discuss that in a minute. So here we are again with another country song uh, that sort of panders, or as The Guardian uh, wrote, who wrote this article at The Guardian? Uh, Matthew Cantor uh, wrote that uh, this song sort of punches down. Uh, Oliver Anthony has the song called uh, Richmond, North of Richmond, that is Washington, D.C. he's talking about. Uh, He is a uh, former North Carolina factory worker, and his song is resonating. And this is one of those situations where I caution my fellow liberals and progressives against just brushing it aside or paying no attention to it because this is just some, quote, redneck white guy who is pandering to a MAGA base. Because a lot of what are in the song lyrics actually resonate with all of us. Song starts off, I'll give you the lyrics since I can't play the song for you, though I will include it in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com. I've been selling my soul, working all day, overtime hours for bullshit pay. Who can't relate to that? Left, right, middle. So I can sit out there and waste my life away, drag back home and drown my troubles away. It's a damn shame what the world's gotten to for people like me and people like you. Wish I could just wake up and it not be true, but it is, oh it is. Living in the new world with an old soul, these rich men north of Richmond, Lord knows they all just want to have total control, want to know what you think, want to know what you do, and they don't think you know, but I know that you do. I'm not sure I understand what that means. Because your dollar ain't shit, and it's taxed to no end because of rich men north of Richmond. He goes on, I wish politicians would look out for miners, as in coal miners, and not just miners, as in minor children, on an island somewhere. Lord, we got folks in the street, ain't got nothing to eat, and the obese milk and welfare. This is the punching down part. Well, God, if you're five foot three and you're 300 pounds, taxes ought not to pay for your bag of fudge rounds. 
Young men are putting themselves six feet in the ground because of all this damn country does is keep on kicking them down. It's not the most in-depth, thought-provoking, but there is something there that obviously resonates with its audience because the song is immensely popular. But then again, as Matt Cantor at The Guardian writes, the song sort of punches down. He says, armed with just a guitar and his powerful voice, he identifies the source of the problem. Rich men north of Richmond, federal politicians who, quote, want to have total control. I don't really know what he means by that. The song laments homelessness. Folks in the street ain't got nothing to eat. And a national suicide crisis. Young men are putting themselves six feet in the ground because all this damn country does is keep on kicking them down. So far, so resonant. The song has collected more than 12 million views on YouTube alone. And on Tuesday afternoon, it sat at number three on Spotify's top 50 USA list. But things start to feel a little less empathetic when Anthony starts complaining, Matthew Cantor writes, about, quote, the obese milking welfare, reasoning that, quote, if you're five foot three and you're 300 pounds, taxes ought not to pay for your bags of fudge rounds. Cantor writes, we can all agree that politicians have caused many of America's problems. It's harder to argue that our country is being destroyed by short, overweight chocolate enthusiasts. He also rails against taxation, which he says means your dollar ain't shit. The supposed welfare abuse sounds like a right-wing talking point, Cantor writes, and Anthony doesn't appear to have considered that the nefarious fudge rounds might be feeding the very people he mentioned with nothing to eat. But Anthony claims to, quote, sit pretty dead center when it comes to politics, according to a video filmed in his car the day before the video was released. I'll, I'll speak a few minutes on uh, Richmond, north of Richmond, and then we'll hang this thing up. I don't want to ch chatter too long to you, but uh, Richmond, north of Richmond, it, it, you know, it touches on my time in western North Carolina working in the factory. It, um, it, it talks about some people that live north of Richmond, Virginia, who I'm sure you're very well aware of, who, um, who make life a little more difficult than it should be. It touches base on human trafficking and the atrocities that, um, you know, I'll say this. I, I sit, I sit pretty dead center down the aisle on politics and, and always have, um, I remember as a kid, the conservatives wanting war and, and, and me not understanding that. And I remember, I remember a lot of the controversies when the left took office and it seems like, you know, both sides serve the same master and, and, and that master is not someone uh, of any good to the people of this country. Um, but I think one of the worst things that a human being can do is is take advantage of a child. And I can't begin to conceptualize what has to happen to someone in order for them to think that's okay. And I think I drew the line on being quiet when I started to see that becoming normalized. And I'll leave that at that. And the last part of the song, it touches on, on, um, 
on on suicide rates and on and really on mental health and depression and um, and there's no reason why young men or women in this country should be committing suicide. There's obviously a problem, you know. People talk about epidemics in this country and the homelessness, homelessness and the drug use and the lack of skilled labor and the suicide rates. Those things aren't those aren't problems. Those are symptoms of a bigger universal problem and a lot of people know that it's just common sense, but we don't talk about it enough. And maybe that is the problem that maybe that is the problem today is we just don't talk enough common sense anymore. You know, we've kind of went a little off the deep end. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I guess I'll leave it at that. And so, because a lot of politicians and pundits on the right are lifting this song up as some sort of anthem uh, against progressivism or liberalism or even a co uh, you know a cogent well-oiled governmental entity at the federal level I, I would caution those on the left to actually just listen to this guy listen to what he's saying he spoke about the angst of the everyman, the every woman. It's not something that the left doesn't talk about. No, they do. They talk about it a lot. And in the last three years, thanks to investment in manufacturing, green energy, like the factory is actually a coming back story in the United States. It's literally the sort of tree that an old man, Joe Biden, is planting that he'll never enjoy the shade of. And this isn't so much about Biden, but this is about everyone, left, right, and center, listening to what this guy has to say. Because I'm going to take him at his word that he sits dead center politically, that he sees both sides as serving the one master, as he said. And he's not wrong, by and large. There is a corporate hierarchy that the right panders to and the left, I believe, is just afraid of and doesn't dare cross because the left needs the big checks too in order to fight off the right. And in the meanwhile, you have the folks, the people, this man who used to work in a factory, do you think he made more than $20 an hour? I'm betting not. He talked about having to work for overtime pay that didn't amount to squat. And after taxes, it's even much less squat. And this isn't about lowering taxes. I think there's a messaging problem that those on the left have, that those on the right are better at. It's easier to explain things incorrectly in simple terms, I believe, and complex solutions to complex problems require complex explanations, and the left hasn't figured out how to boil it down so that voters or songwriters have a better understanding of 
why we are where we are. We're the greatest nation on the planet, and yet healthcare is not a human right. That takes a toll on that check. That takes a toll on our well-being. If you fall into the pit of despair and you are somehow addicted to heroin or meth or cocaine or alcohol, a substance abuse treatment facility may not be covered by your insurance. And by the way, only one party's really fighting to make sure that that is happening. But I digress. If you don't have insurance at all, you can't get treated. I literally was trying to care for someone recently who suffers from heroin, meth, fentanyl addiction, but has been unemployed since last November. Do you know what that person's substance abuse treatment options are? Quick, cold, turkey. Good luck. There's, there's no, there's very precious few options for someone without insurance, let alone someone without employment. It's why we have homelessness in this country. Families who don't have the means to care for their loved ones who are dealing with substance abuse or mental health issues have no choice but to let them go. That person I'm speaking to, I spoke to their aunt, their their own flesh and blood. And she said, there's just not much we can do for that person anymore. We've tried. And by tried, I'm sure it meant speaking, talking, trying to gin up support, but if if you don't if you don't have the treatment options, you don't have the options. So we're heading into an election cycle that's not unlike 2016. In fact, the candidate on the right may be the exact same candidate. And while polling shows he ain't getting more than 34, 40% of the vote, a lot can change between now and then. We're heading into a similar election cycle where the left is going to tout economic figures that are correct. Inflation has stagnated, finally got that under control. And even when it was bad, it wasn't as bad as it was in the rest of the world. Joblessness at an all-time low. All that economic data. Oh, it looks good, right? Tell that to the American person that's paying $4 plus per gallon in gas. $200 at the grocery store that used to be a $100 trip. It's something that the elites on the left have to be better aware of when messaging this coming campaign cycle. Now, there are those who are going to ostracize this guy. I, th- I think Matthew Cantor at The Guardian tried to do that. But I, I take this, this guy at his word, this songwriter at his word, because I, I, I see people, I talk to people who think like this all the time, and they tell me they're not political. They're not conservative. But they got to fill that gas tank, and they got to buy those groceries, back-to-school clothes. We can't just keep telling them, everything's great. Look at the economy. No recession, no soft landing. Okay. <laughs> Inflation's better. It's like the doting husband while the wife's giving birth. You don't know what this feels like. I know, but you're doing good, baby. I'm being split open like an almond. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little wigged out because I feel like the, the songwriter got a little qanon when it comes to the whole sex trafficking. I mean, look, nobody's for sex trafficking. Left, right, we, we all we all want to eliminate that. 
that doesn't need to be a political wedge issue. It's one that's been made a political. It doesn't need to be because I think we're all on the same page there. Let's work together on that then. Or the obese person on welfare. It doesn't seem to have occurred to the songwriter that it's expensive to buy healthy food. It's expensive to buy quality cuts of meat and vegetables. It is. It's very expensive. And as long as some of these larger chains, the Dollar Generals, the Family Dollars, et cetera, and so on, are allowed to take in, what's it called now, EBT? As long as they're allowed to do that for bags of potato chips and bags of chocolate chip cookies and huge Hawaiian punch jugs, then that's it's the cheapest thing to buy, and that's what people are going to buy when there's nothing else of substance that they can buy. Remember the longest time we hear the trope about the person who was in line uh, with the the earrings and the hair and nails done to the nine and the, the the Gucci handbag and the lobsters and steaks in the in the grocery cart. Listen, I don't know where the jewelry, whether it's real or fake, or the the handbag if it's real or fake, came from. And maybe maybe the lady works at a salon and she took care of herself. I, I don't know any of these questions, but I do know that the leaner cuts of meat are better for the family. They're just also more expensive. If you're going to quibble with anything, quibble with the fact that why is it so much more expensive for someone to purchase healthy food if it's better for them to do so? Me personally, I feel like I could sit down and have a conversation with this songwriter, Oliver Anthony, and talk about that and food deserts and the fact that the minimum wage hasn't changed since what, 2009. I think we could have a substantive conversation between two average Americans who actually do feel the pinch and the burden that a lot of us carry, which leads to the heightened need for therapy, the heightened uh, substance abuse problems, the suicide rate, which has been growing in this country. I think he and I could sit down and have a conversation. And I caution those on the left against just on this guy or this song just because those on the right are taking it up. Do not ignore it. Ignore it at your movement's peril. Pay attention to it. Embrace some of what he's saying and have a substantive dialogue with those who relate to what he's saying. More Ron Show after this on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, wherever you podcast. Final segment of the Ron Show for Wednesday. This show flew by. Uh, I feel like I could have gone another hour today, but uh, you're like, no, no, that's fine. Plenty. I want to get to one last story that hasn't really been covered much in local media, but here I am, hair toss, giving it to you. After Misha Maynard switched parties from Democrat to Republican, of course she made, uh, now the new right-wing darling, uh, made the rounds because she is a woman of color who has joined the GOP, and that is, it's like Haley's Comet, comes around once every 75 years, right? Uh, So she also did this Twitter campaign where she was sharing form emails that were coming into her uh, and addressing them, like sharing the form email, the screen grab, and then responding, dear Democrat, I'm sorry you feel this way, blah, 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 blah. To insinuate that she was getting all these nasty form emails, these racist, I mean, just disgusting, vile, racist emails from actual Democrats. She doesn't know that. In fact, she didn't even bother before tweeting to check and see if these people were even real. In one case, a fellow by the name of Alex Bouguet. Alex Bouguet is, uh, I believe, a student at the University of Central Florida. His email address was listed in the screen grab. She blocked out 
some of the, it was, hard, it was easy for me to figure out because I emailed them directly myself. The form email that came in that she shared on her Twitter account, and, and trust me, this is not for the faint-hearted. I'm going to block out words as much as I can in, in hopes that you sort of understand the context without actually hearing the words because it, it shakes me to my core to have even read this stuff myself. Allegedly from Alex Bouguet. And his email address, Alex Bouguet, and then knights.ucf.ed. I mean, it was so easy to figure out. That's Central Florida University. So the form asks uh, the question, what concerns you? What are your priorities? Someone with Alex's name and email address writes, you stupid chocolate Jabba the Hut looking You don't belong in the government. You belong in the fields picking cotton, or in my kitchen cooking and cleaning my floor. Go back to Haiti. How would you like to help, the form asks. The RNC won't pay you in fried chicken, menthols, Rice Krispie treats, watermelon, or weed. The Klan should wipe the floor with your ass. I emailed Alex Bouguet. Because the email address is right there. I emailed him on July 19th, okay? And I literally just said, have you seen the tweet with your email address clearly displayed that insinuates you wrote this? Gave him the tweet link, which by the way, she's pulled, and asked, I'm wondering if you're even aware of this or if you'd like to respond. He didn't respond back until August 15th, but did note that Misha Maynard did write an apology on her Twitter account July 31st. He said, hi, Ron, thank you for reaching out. I just wanted to inform you that your hypothesis was correct. And I'm not the one responsible for these hate comments. I did surmise that on July 19th myself. I just It was a simple LinkedIn search. I look at the guy. I'm like, well, this doesn't sound like somebody who's as educated as he is, who's going to college. It just didn't sound like so- I did that. Misha Maynard didn't. I did that on July 19th. She didn't correct until July 31st. But by then, the horse has left the barn. Anyway, Alex wrote, I was horrified to learn that my name had been used for such evil. Please see the attached apology by the representative on our Twitter page. I hope this truly sets the record straight and thank you for reaching out. And then he attached the apology. What is it they say about printing retractions? Retractions don't get a tenth of the traction that the article with the erroneous information. Anyway, she did retract the tweet. She since deleted it, and then on July 31st wrote, after announcing my switch from the Democratic to the Republican Party, I posted a comment sheet on my website for public responses. There were a number of positive responses, but also very vile ones, including a fake response attributed to Alex Bouguet, which contained hateful and vile comments. Through my own investigation, it became, really, it, it took her 12 more days than it took me. It became apparent that the response did not come from Alex. Instead, it came from a person impersonating Alex. Alex has shown me proof that the submission was falsely attributed to his name. I apologize to Alex for the harm this has caused him. I hope that this apology will spread far and wide and reach everyone who received my first message. She should pin that to the top of her Twitter page. She did not, but it's there on July 31st, nonetheless. So she did apologize, the correct thing to do. It just took her a lot longer than it took for me to realize that can't possibly be that particular college student at UCF. And I was just guessing, but I guess correctly. And I'd like to think that she's learned a lesson in that huge misstep right out the gate, but she's left some of those other form emails up that read just the same and portrays those as democratic responses. Misha Mena knows better. I know better. 
It's going to do it for The Ron Show. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the American One Radio app, AmericanOneRadio.com, wherever you podcast. Plenty more for you at ronshowatl.com. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great evening.